2: Eight of psychology as we move towards the 100th episode with some very, very special shows at the weekend, the 99th on Saturday and the 100th next Tuesday with two comedy heroes. I thought we'd use this episode to look back on some of the highlights from the Daily Dose episodes. Each day we've had some incredible moments and one of the biggest was when I was joined by the brilliant comedian Eleanor Tiernan. Who revealed something that she'd been keeping to herself for many years?
0: But basically, um, I had I've come out, um, come out of the closet, and oh, okay. um, yes. Yeah, so this was something that I had kind of been uh, wrestling with for a very long time, and I was, uh, uh, I guess, always a bit um, kind of. I guess avoidant in like in, in up, I talked about a, a lot. I would, I would talk around the issue an awful lot, but mm. I never kind of really kind of was like the, the direct route. This is, this is the kind of shit that is going on in my head. Yeah. Um, so, um, this was, I guess it came to a head for me in February and March. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so, so late doing this in life. That was part of what delayed me you know for so long like it like it's you know, like once i got past 30 and i hadn't kind of dealt with it i was like well, you can't you can't come out over 30 you know it's ridiculous yeah. uh you know, it's just a ludicrous thing to do <laughs> and then but then it wasn't going away so you know another decade passed and you know suddenly it doesn't 40. go away
2: does it doesn't
0: go away yeah, that's what I that's what I I thought. Yeah, I can I can definitely attest to that whole <laughs> uh, theory. Definitely won't uh, won't go away. And um, yeah, I just had I guess the last year I had kind of maybe gotten a little bit more uh philosophical about you know and, and not taking myself so seriously i think was what it, where i needed to go in my head mm. um and then just a few few other things kind of just kind of happened at the same time and then philip schofield come out in february mm. and uh i watched that and i thought oh my god you know philip schofield coming come out <laughs> you know and um yeah i just went i just decided uh to go there i just um said you know i like and it didn't seem like the sanest thing to do but i just said the the other the alternative is not you know you know i'm i'm i want to i just want to wreck what i have basically and just re 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 rebirth myself if that that's not too dramatic a way of thinking about it did, did you um, did
2: you come out on did you co- have, did you come out on stage then or have you done that already or did, did, i've just...
0: done it i've done it i did it maybe four times before the okay lockdown happened. i got and four did, gigs in all right. and, and i did had, you, I did had you... to wait to, until i'd spoken to my parents so i had okay. i had to go to ireland hmm. travel to ireland you know have have the chat with them and oh, um goodness that was part of it. And then I came back and I had four great gigs, four fucking like really awesome gigs that were yeah. just different than anything I had done before.
3: Yeah. and
0: Yeah. Like very, very fragile, very vulnerable, very like, like putting my, talk about putting yourself in the audience's hands. Oh uh, God. and I did, and I guess, um, like, yeah, I did, I did the, the backyard. I did, the angel comedy, uh, that we know, uh, I did Excess Malarkey in Manchester,
3: uh,
0: and then I did one in, um, up in Lancashire for Tom, uh, a comedian called Tom Taylor. And yeah, Yeah. they were just, they were just, just great. And, uh, I was, I was just so excited about it. I can imagine must have been, yeah, amazing. what was going to become and what, you know, what the show I was hoping yeah. to do, which was, because basically when I'd been in the closet all the time and I had this document on my computer, which was full of jokes <laughs> that I would tell if I were to allow myself to ever come out and oh, but i would never come out so that that was just they were just never going to be told uh yeah. so that was i guess where i started with the material and yeah. um they, yeah i was having fun with it and you know the audience were like just talk about coming to meet you they were absolutely the ones i had were were just incredible
2: one of my favourite comedians is Glenn Wall, who joined us a couple of times over the past months. Last time I spoke to him, he told me how his young son was enjoying clapping for the NHS and also some unseemly behaviour from some local ducks.
4: Well, uh, my little toddler has taken to um, joining in the, the clap-alongs. <laughs> uh, he okay. really likes it. He doesn't really understand it, I don't think, on any level, but um, but we live in a lovely village called Finchingfield, Village of the Year. I think I told you that already.
2: Oh, no, I don't think you did. No, Village of the Year. Well done.
4: Yeah. Three times running. And uh, so we live right on the green. And it's nice because everybody, you know, comes out their front door and there's a a little duck pond, and it's it's absolutely lovely. There's a reason it's village of the year, and mm. people hang out of windows, come out the front doors, bang pots and pans, and like almost it is a village, but almost every window or doorway has somebody in it. Mm. Uh, come that time, so we we go up to our window it's about 7 55 and we're all everybody it's just quiet you know like because people it's almost like a moment of silence before this this eruption of noise um and uh right in the middle of the green by the duck pond five male ducks got a hold of a lady duck and I don't know how much you know about ducks <laughs> yeah. but they're terrible they're terrible people and it was loud and it was uncomfortable and then a sixth sort of bigger duck heard the commotion and you think oh good justice like the the, the big duck of the group is gonna Join in, is what he's going to do. Now it's a six duck, and it's just horrendous. And then it was over, and we were all standing in silence. And then the clock struck, and we all had to start clapping. <laughs>
2: Those ducks must have thought that was a pretty good one today, you know? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> They're starting to appreciate it now at last. Yeah,
4: they understand <laughs> us a little better now. I, I don't know they've had time to think about <laughs> the way we do things down here at the pond.
5: <laughs> and I
4: still don't know whether or not my son thinks that's what we were clapping about. <laughs> <with us. laughs> <laughs> He's too young
2: to know. One of the great things about doing the Daily Dose via Zoom is I've been able to check in with comedians from around the world, Iceland, Italy, Australia and the US. But it was when I spoke with the brilliant Anavad Pell in India to see how that country was coping that it really put things into perspective.
1: I think it's been the hardest here of all countries, you know, mm-hmm. just, uh, and I think that's just due to bad planning, but it's also revealed something incredibly Uh, interesting about India's economic demographic and how cities and villages work, which is basically we had a four and a half hour notice to a nationwide lockdown. Uh And our prime minister, you know, who, you know, likes to share things and do things in collaboration in the same spirit as say Benedito Mussolini does (laughs) or did, um, did not feel it necessary to inform the heads of different states, the chief ministers, Mm-hmm. Uh, of how he was going to execute this. So he just announced a nationwide lockdown, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. he does. Um, and so the poorest in the country had, well, first a rumor spread that everything would good, was going to be shut, including grocery stores and essentials. So everybody rushed. So what what he was trying to avoid, which was a gathering, uh, led to humongous amounts of panic and mass gatherings at vegetable markets so So, um, (laughs) the very thing that caused this i think so uh, that happened right there was panic but then india saw something crazy which is that some 200 million people overnight decided to leave the cities they work in to go back to their villages so what it showed us is that Indian cities, the real population, India has five of the most populated cities in the world in the top 10. Mm. Um, But what it showed us is that the migrant labor is half that population. And Mm. even if they don't have work for a day, for a single day, you know, they have to leave their slum because the slum lord is like, okay, right, you can't pay me today's wages, get out, Mm. right? And they don't have food and clearly they don't see themselves as any part of the city. Because Mm. they have no identification. They live day-to-day. They live on cash. So they say, hell with it. I'm going to take my chances back in the village I started out in because I've got no support system here. So they could have lived in Mumbai or Delhi or Calcutta or Bangalore for 30, 40 years, but they've built no routes. Mm. That the entire money they make is cash, and they live off that cash. And the moment, even for like two hours, if the infrastructure shuts, they're out of here. Yeah, yeah. And is there, so, is there suffering being hidden at all with the, in the press? Well, yeah, the press has been quite good, actually. They've been on the road following these people and some, some of course, shocking images of, you know, uh, somewhere in North Delhi, a milk truck slipped and collapsed and, and vast amounts of milk spilt on the road. Mm. And there were pictures of the poor just trying to scrounge for that milk along with stray dogs and horrible, horrible videos like that were emerging but also i have to say the government did quite a good job of just trying to keep them to shelter in place and said here are some packets of free food um we're giving you some very bad very temporary accommodations but accommodations nonetheless so just stay where you are the interesting thing has been even though the 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 migrant laborers are being fed um they still want to go home they just don't trust the cities because they think Sensibly, that this is a city infection. It's sort of like a rich person's disease. It's come from abroad, and we're better off if we go back to the villages, to the interiors of the country. And uh, yeah, yeah, my goodness, and a
2: good reminder of a good reminder there of first world problems. Me mentioning my mum mixing the milk like it's the worst thing in the world, and you saying some people are trying to drink milk up off the floor. It's a good reminder. Good reminder. Good reminder about perspective when you're when you're thinking I'm having a bad time at the moment.
1: Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I just took solace from the fact that when they're explaining the economics of day-wage laborers, I I was watching TV and thinking, listen, that's how I get paid for gigs. (laughs) Maybe I should be walking back to my parents. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The same kind of perspective
2: I got when I caught up with Conrad Koch in South Africa, where I found out how the virus was affecting all the different communities there.
3: It is scary, but as always, what happens is uh, journalists will go and they'll, f- and they'll go find a situation, like an incident, and then that becomes like the norm. But in general, yeah. uh, uh, South Africans are co- collaborating and working together to get it right. Something that's really great about South Africa is has got a tremendous uh, uh, community spirit, a tremendous um, sense of we're all in this together. And it, it comes from the amount of craziness we've gone through of course that is starkly uh, uh, undercrossed by undercuts by race and class lines and language lines so white people can be extremely oblivious that's the that's what a part it did it gave us uh, ability to not see the suffering of others we literally moved black people out of town and at no point have has anyone actually moved black people back into town so it, it's very easy to stay in your middle-classy world and not be that aware of the, the, the struggles of others here, which informs yeah. our comedy. Heroes. Yeah. Are there, are there, yeah. We will get back
2: to comedy at some point, but this is, <laughs> this is so interesting that, uh, I mean, it, do you fear that this might drive divisions more? I mean, you mentioned there that you know, white people going on a holiday. Was there, is there a perception that they did that while, there was news that uh, countries were at risk and, but is there, is there a fear generally that this will uh, create more division in race in your country? The, the,
3: the question of division is, a, is such a complicated one for South Africa, sorry, this is my, like, it's, it's, it's what I do, uh, it's my kind of area that I, I, I do no, a lot no, of no, work in, so I can, yeah. you've opened a library. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the, 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 South Africa's already divided, White South Africans are five times wealthier than black South Africans on average. So all this does is just continue what was already there. Uh, we have, like, for example, uh, something that happens quite regularly is that schools don't have enough resource to have decent toilets. So poor black schools in rural areas, there's a thing where kids go to school, fall into a pit latrine and drown in poo. And it happens it happens too often to be a once-off. It's it's something that happens. That will never happen in a white area. It, it, it's, it's inconceivable that it would happen in a previously white area. So um, while there is an economic change happening, in general, what the deal was at the end of apartheid was that white people kept the goods. We kept the loot. We kept the historic privilege. We kept what apartheid gave us. And the idea is that it'll trickle down. But the truth is it doesn't trickle down because most business leaders in South Africa are still white, even though we're only like eight percent of the population. Uh, English is the language of business. So if you're at school, if you're a little Zulu child, at grade four. They force you to learn in English. Imagine you went to school and in grade four, they force you to learn maths in German. It's hmm. crazy. But that's Ro, Cecil John Rhodes' legacy. That's apartheid. So that hasn't gone away. So the, will it make the divides more? Well, it's not like black people are unaware that there's inequality because they're just going, well, this is more of the same inequality. There's a bit of an irritation that's privileged people brought this disease to South Africa. If we had just stayed at home, it wouldn't have happened. Uh, But at the same time, there's also a sense of we all need to work on this together. And uh, there's a kind of unifying conversation going on that I think in some ways is quite positive.
2: Just as we were coming to terms with lockdown and hoping the world was gonna be a slightly better place, there was the murder of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter protest. Deliso Chaponda joined us and we both despaired as people on the same side started fighting amongst themselves and piling on the most unlikely people.
6: And then the other thing I think is really weird is even among people who are supportive of the cause, there's now this thing of where people are eating their own. So it's one thing to vent all your frustration at the... Systemic racism and stuff like that about it, but there are a lot of people who spend so much of their energy and anger yelling at other people on their side for not expressing their support in the exact right way
2: absolutely, absolutely and I heard you I heard you say, yeah, something great about that, which was just let them say what they want to say. people will be making slight mistakes. people will be saying things slightly differently to how you're saying it, but we're all on the same side. You know, the people on the same side don't attack your own. It's absolutely the right point though.
6: It's exactly right. I saw a a, a hashtag uh, people jumping on, uh, Hermione Granger, of all people! Do <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, for yeah. for instead of tweeting out one black square, she tweeted out three black squares. Yeah. Oh no! It's... Oh no! Why did she tweet out three black squares? Is she trying to say that she's more important than the people who tweeted one? And I was like, what kind of brains do you have? <laughs> yeah
2: yes oh god it fills me i mean obviously the 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 murder of george floyd fills me with such pessimism but the yes the way the the way people are divided and the way people yeah on the same side are divided and attacking each other it can't you can't help but be filled with such overwhelming pessimism and also i think
6: the other thing is people then start playing oppression bingo (laughs) right because like (laughs) <laughs> yeah. This moment is what this moment is. This And it's like, it's not, uh, like I was trying to say, like it's not only Black Lives Matter. It's, you know what I mean? It's like, but then people, even people who are on your side, then start arguing with each other. Like there was this whole thing where Peter Tatchell got upset at John Boyoke, uh because in his rage, he said, go suck a dick to, I don't know if you're talking so to Trump or to, racist yeah. but then it was like go suck a dick is homophobic and then it's like a whole argument between two camps of people who are on the same side yeah and it's just one of those where it's, oh god i'm like we know who the problem are, are are not even who we know what the problem is the yeah. system is and i almost feel like we need to pause some of the other fights we have
2: yeah. Right. While well, we sort out this fight. <laughs> yeah. One of the most incredible shows was Brendan Burns. With Brendan, we quickly moved away from dealing with the lockdown to more of what psych is all about, mental health. And he spoke very openly about what he'd been going through recently.
7: I don't have issues with reality. I was in a torturous gaslighting relationship for over a decade. Mm-hmm. And weirdly enough, my ex-wife has an alter ego. It is very strange how much she never revealed her name. It's like she always knew she was going to cover shit up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I was actually. The Arizona getting stranded, all of that shit was actually just a desperate attempt to remind myself that I. What a capable individual I was. So I went. Always been a bit of an extreme individual. So I went down the Grand Canyon and got a fucking. <laughs> non-four-wheel drive SUV stranded in a ravine just to see if I could get it out man it was
2: incredible I mean just like yeah knowing the additional layer of what you were going through as well but god ah it's just even without that it, it just an incredible story and now with that extra layer it's like oh my god I could be speaking to you for 10 hours and we wouldn't we wouldn't get, drill down into what was going on there, probably, would we?
7: Well, lockdown, no. It's a, Well, I mean, I'm not going to try and address someone else's madness, mm. I think, because that is part of the torturing structure. Mm. Uh, and it's textbook, textbook stuff. And I think also that final series is a great, a great, deal of that is almost part of the awakening you know it takes a thousand things to drive you insane I believe I said yeah and it takes a thousand things to bring you back and because I was recording so much stuff and taking photos and writing things down and one of the worst things about being gaslighted there's a guy as well is the internet gaslights you as well Because if you try and look up, if you Google anything, I think a lot more men are coming forward. But if you Google anything about domestic abuse or gaslighting or psychological torturing in a relationship, everything says he, 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 he. So if you are being gaslighted, society just supports it. Yeah. It just says, no, you can't be. It can't possibly be. It couldn't possibly be happening to you. It is not possible. Uh, you, you know, your thinking is all wrong. Um, but I'm not going to shit on women because uh, women were the first ones to believe me. Yeah. Women were the first ones to listen. Women, you know, without being uh, too neat or dramatic with it, women were the first ones to tell me, me too.
2: One of the most popular episodes from the main show was when we did a brilliant two-parter uh, with the fantastic Nick Helm, who talked a lot about dealing with depression. So it was only natural that I would catch up with him about this during
5: lockdown. Uh, I've been fine. Um, yeah. I think, um, yeah, I think a lot of, I, I, what I have guess I've learned is that a lot of my anxiety issues are sort of external um uh i've met uh, you know i've stayed in i've uh, not done any soul searching but like um i've uh enjoyed my own company and yeah. i've enjoyed not having like um uh some sort of like external deadline of right like, you have to leave the flat you have to get on public transport you have to you know i i i like the i, I, I I've enjoyed the fact that um, I've been completely in my own little bubble and self-contained and not had to really uh, interact with uh, the world like that. Um, I find that all very stressful. I find, you know, I love, I love performing. I love standing up on stage. I love making people laugh. I love all of that. What I have a trouble with is the 95% of my life that surrounds that which which is kind of like getting to a venue getting to a gig uh, waiting to go on stage going on stage you know and and all the way back to writing the the show trying to predict what's funny and what's not funny Um, having like in my back pocket some of the all-time worst gigs ever Mm. and uh even though that sort of like makes up maybe 0.5 of a percent of all the gigs i've had Mm. you know it always sort of like haunting you every time you're about to go on stage thinking well maybe this will be the worst gig i've ever had i know Mm. i know what they can be like so it's kind of like so not having all of that is kind of um and also not having any of that on the immediate horizon has yeah. sort of like lift, lifted a lot of uh, mental uh, pressure off of me so that I'm not kind of like predicting um, uh, a next, uh, my next professional death. Do you know what I mean? Mm,
2: mm. Do you think maybe out of this, you know, you maybe change the way you work when we get out of this. You know, you can maybe choose to do things that make you less anxious, maybe, I don't know.
5: I think think I'm gradually learning what is important to me. Yeah. And I think I've made decisions in the past which are based around uh, fear and frustration Um, that aren't necessary things that um, are what I want to do. Uh. Um, so i think uh yeah I, I think i don 't know we'll see everything might just revert back to normal. It might just be like, you know you hear those stories uh about um planes that are that are crashing, and everyone goes crazy and starts fucking each other, and then all of a sudden uh. <laughs> The plane corrects itself and then everyone's safe again and everyone just puts their clothes back on and <laughs> pretends nothing happens. <laughs> yeah. and, they never, and they never talk about it ever again. <laughs> yeah. We don't know. What might come out of the end, other end of this is that, you know, we just sort of like move on as a society and, and, and not go on and on about it.
2: Al Labelle was on a couple of weeks ago and we talked about how he went from appearing on Letterman and The Tonight Show to driving a cab. Surely he must be bitter by that experience.
8: Yeah, I, I remember one comic once said to me, I won't mention his name. He said to me, are you bitter? Mm. This, a young, very successful comic we met for lunch. And, uh, and it never occurred to me to be bitter. It was weird. Like I thought, whoa, I, maybe I never was bitter. And I, realized, I think the reason I wasn't, it's not because I'm a nice guy, easygoing, Buddhist, spiritual guy. It's because I really, on a certain level, never felt I deserved success a little. a little. Uh, have you heard about that imposter phenomenon? Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, a little I'm afraid of the, you know, and also because being such a child in my mind, an 11-year-old still maybe, or even maybe 21 or 11, mm. but I feel like as an 11-year-old, I don't f- want to be a star. I'm 11. You know, I don't want to become a child star. That could really hurt me.
1: <laughs>
8: <laughs> oh,
1: it does. That really,
8: <laughs> really messes
2: up your psychology.
8: <laughs> <laughs> that could be a good joke to me. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to be a child star. But anyway... But no, really, there's a little child in me that's never felt ready to be a star. I would have taken it if they gave it to me, but I wouldn't have worked hard enough on my own to do it because I think of an unconscious, I have an unconscious fear of growth Mm. because number one, because I feel like a child, but also because that I've said this before, because like if once I have a huge fear of death Mm. and once I become an adult, I'm afraid of it's I feel it's the next stage towards death.
4: Mm. And
8: in my mind, I feel if I never get to adulthood, I never have to hit deadhood which mm. is a line I have in my screenplay I've written. Anyway, my point is, but I'm afraid of the trans... It's an unco- I know it's it's unconscious, but it's also conscious. I know it, mm. but even though I know it, I still 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 I still fight it. Mm. I don't want to grow up. I'm like, God, if I had a kid, that mm. would really make me feel old because I'd be thinking, I'm fucking next <laughs> to die. This kid's going to die after me. I'm next. Mm. I don't have a kid. I'm not next. You know, I'm still... it's I'm, It's illogical in a lot of ways, but... The, yeah. Even a girlfriend scares me. I've had them, not many. Yeah. But I, when I felt, but uh, but, but again, that could, feel, that could
0: explain. it.
2: feels adult. Yeah, but that could could that explain a lot, really? Like you know, when you had that massive success with with Letterman, and you know, you maybe didn't capitalize on it as much as other comics were yeah. done because you feared you feared that success. That was too
8: adult for you, maybe. Although I was on Letterman five times. Yeah. Yeah. I did but, five so I kept coming back and doing it but I was afraid to yell yeah, like I've always been afraid to really capitalize and really how do I move mm. it's a terrible and I feel bad about it though I do like I, as I'm getting older the irony is or the, parad- not the paradox not there's a word it's not it's more than ironic it's sad yeah the older I get and the less opportunity now I have for success because when you're older mm. the more I want it yeah, <laughs> yeah that's,
2: that's fair enough but through all the episodes, we've tried to remain positive. So we'll end part one of these highlights with some advice from the brilliant Brodie
0: Snook. There was a little um, Instagram page that someone shared the other day as well. I think it's called The Happy Broadcast, mm. um, which has, you know, uh, topical positive news with a cute little cartoon and stuff. And like it's simplistic, but it does work, you know, bright colours and a nice little happy... Couple of sentences. Oh, everything's not actually turning to shit because XYZ happened today. And you go, oh, good. You know, I really needed that. Oh, um, something yeah, something simple in these kind of times, I think, does work.
2: What do you think that's called? The happy broadcast.
0: I believe it's called the happy broadcast. Yeah. Oh.
2: Coming up in part two, we'll hear how Callie Beaton battled the virus. Check in with a couple of comedians who very sadly had deaths in the family during this time. And we'll also chart how Trevor Locke went from seeing no effect on the lockdown to experiencing the full range of emotions. So that was our show for today. Join us for the 99th episode on Saturday with two very, very, very special guests the incredible Trev and Simon. Trev and Simon join me on the 99th and 100th episodes this Saturday and next Tuesday. Oh my goodness, what a honour it was to have them on. They were my first choice and we got them and it's an incredible conversation. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it as much as I did. So join us on Saturday and Tuesday. Thank you so much. For listening, please listen back on all the daily shows, all the main shows. Psychomedy is produced by Mike Hansen at Pop People Productions. Check out psychomedy.co.uk. There are mental health tips from our counselling partners at ThreadUp. They're there to support you with free check-ins. And if you'd like to support the podcast, it's patron.com/slash/Nathan Cassidy. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Nathan Cassidy. Lots of love to you all. Stay healthy. Stay optimistic. And tune back in for the wonderful Trev and Simon on Saturday.